calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tananari do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of a sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Yay! So excited to be here. The crowd's so excited. We're excited. Absolutely. And we just got they often say that they're super excited to see you, talk to you, read this. You and they know, love everything. They love everything. That's right. They love everything. But but I also love everything. And I love you. And and I love you, audience. Welcome to the podcast. We I love most of you, but the guy next to you, I'm not sure I love him, but <laughs> you I love. So we were out in the world. We just came back from Baycon. We we were around That's people true. and everything. It's true. What what panels were you on at Baycon? I you did a reading. There. You were a guest of honor. I I did a reading, and I think oh a horror panel. I decided right. to, to jump into it. I love talking about horror. Yeah, that, it's great. It's great. I did Tai Chi class on Sunday. I also did panels on on collaborating. And one on martial arts, writing writing fight scenes, one on some other aspect of writing. I forget what it was now. And then a small group where you know had a, a side room and a bunch of people to could ask me all sorts of different questions. None of them embarrassing. I always hope that somebody's going to ask me something embarrassing. And uh, you know, a good time was had by all, except the I did a a, cu- a couple of morning gigs for breakfast. <laughs> And it was eight o'clock in the morning, and it turned out that one of them had been canceled. Nobody told me, but that's Aww. because they're just getting back together after three years. 
So yeah, it's it's just amazing that they were able to to do as much as they did, and it was you know nice nice people, you know, good time, and in general, I had a great time. I tweaked my back mm. when I woke up when I woke up Saturday morning. We got you slept to, wrong. You mean you slept wrong? I don't know. Some I can only figure it's some combination of sleeping wrong on a new mattress, driving 400 miles, and doing a bunch of sun salutations, which can do some things to, you know, to loosen your back up so that things can shift around. Some combination of those things led to, you know, my back feeling, you know, just, oh my God, you know, it felt like something horrible had happened there. Um, mm, sorry, but darling. most of it seemed to be a little bit of a misalignment of a couple of vertebrae. Mm-hmm. Once, you know, when I... I did the Bikram yoga series and I could hear the the vertebrae popping and crackling and feel them settling in. And I think that after that, it's a matter of tendons and nerves kind of being on fire from mm. this alignment. And they're trying to protect you by kind of, by making everything hurt so you don't move too much. So I'm still de-inhibiting de- that response. Well, and you're using yoga and getting plenty of rest. Yes. And eating well and all the things that all of you should do. I have also had issues with my lower back from time to time. Often mine is stress related. So just trying to be aware of when I'm holding my muscles tightly. You know, sometimes I'm so rigid during the day, even at night, sometimes when I'm trying to go to sleep, I realize I'm just holding myself rigidly like, hey, relax. Well, I stretch had a, out, had calm a down. Bit of a sway back from when I was a kid. You know, my 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 lower spinal curvature wants to pooch my stomach out, so mm. I have to be very careful with, you know, tucking my hips and making sure that my abdominal muscles are strong enough, and then the spinal alignment that you get in things like like Tai Chi. You know, but it's just you know, it's all in a day. You know, it's just what you do to to maintain stuff so that I don't want to feel in pain when I'm sitting at my desk writing, you know, oh. you know, let alone teaching Tai Chi, you know, with no. my, my back hurting. That was not an exercise in futility. It was okay. But I could really feel, and you know, I could hear the pretender voices in my head saying, well, you're a fraud. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes, oh, no. True. Well, boo to the pretender voices. Boo, we don't we care about that. Boo. You are not a pretender. And, yeah, we uh, could do a whole show just on the pretender voice, and we really should. Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll make a list of upcoming podcast topics before we move too far away from fandom. And I think this is also related to a lot of people just getting out for the first time. There were a lot of people at Baycon. This was their first time back at a convention since COVID. And things are different, okay? You have to get used to driving. You have to get used to being in crowds. You have to pace yourself. I think you like three years have passed, people. Three years have passed. So yep. don't assume you can just jump back in with the same kind of vim and vigor that you had three years ago. Jason, our son Jason, was going to go on a cruise as soon as he got back to Los Angeles. So anytime he was out and about, you know, wear a mask. You know, oh, yes. You, even, even if you get mild COVID, you ain't getting on that cruise ship. Yes. Uh, mask, so, mask, 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 everybody. Yeah, mask, mask, mask. Be very careful. We really are coming out the other side of this, but it's, you don't want to be, you know, the the, lat, the third giraffe, you know, trying to get on Noah's Ark. Oh, uh, you, know, you know, I don't want to overdo the soundtracks, honey, but that, that deserves a laugh. <laughs> Just you know, know it, I'm laughing. You don't want to be the last person to die of COVID. 
No, you don't. And you and don't. and with all those caveats and keeping that in mind, we want to remind you that Steve and I will be guests of honor at the Worldcon, World Science Fiction Convention coming up in Chicago. Yes, the great the, uh, city of Chicago, of, September August, 1st. Beginning of September. Yeah, yeah September 1st through September 5th. We would love to see you there. We'll be talking about the podcast. We'll talk about podcasts. We'll talk about soulmates. We'll talk about writing. We'll talk about inclusivity. Did I miss anything? Come see us. Probably because we, we we will be involved with a lot of the programming. So that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. So bring your books. You know, we'll, I'm sure we'll have autograph things. We'll be able to sign your books. And we'd love to see you. We may even, you know, depending on how things go, we may even have like a little coffee clatch, small group gathering just for just to, to, to discuss issues. We, we really care about you. We really appreciate your patronage on, on this show. Well, this is show, what, 26? Might be 27. Might be 27. Might yeah, be 27. We're, we're in the halfway through the year. Yeah, yeah it is um, 27. It is, so we're rolling a along. Great journey. And, and we uh, have... You want, you want to talk about the news? I'm not going to say specifics because we just got a contract today and the contract has not been signed. But this podcast, which is a little independent podcast that we put together ourselves, well, we're still going to be putting it together ourselves, but we're going to have a platform and a host that will help spread the news, have, let more listeners know. We're going to do cross-promotion with other podcasts, a few carefully selected ads, although this podcast is always first and foremost about us and Life Writing Premium and other products and packages we have that we yeah, think will be good for our Today we'll Listeners. be talking about the soulmate process later on, you know. So, so make sure to listen through to the end of this. But primarily, what we want is to make our writer tribe healthy. Yes, our fan tribe healthy. That means we're going to be concerned about your emotions and relationships. We're going to be concerned about your physical health. And if you are writers, we are concerned about giving you all the tools you need to be successful writers and also live a healthy, successful life. That's what this podcast is all about. We're sharing our, basically, we're as soon as we learn it, we're passing it on to you, or in some cases, it's lessons we learned a long time ago. Yeah, but, I like to say, when I learn something and have tested it, because I want to make very certain that if you trust me to do something that I suggest you do, you're going to get you know, positive result from it because I, I really appreciate that trust and I do not take it for granted in any way. The one thing I can tell you is that the things that we talk about in terms of writing, you know, we have tested this, we use it in our own lives and the same thing is true elsewhere. We are not going to give you anything that's theoretical. Everything we're we're offering you about taking care of yourself, creating your career, whatever, has been tested carefully. And we're just we offer opportunities for you to have, perform the same experiments with minimum risk. Yeah. And maybe this is just as good a time as any to segue into our main topic, which is about sure. surviving disappointment. Part of the jumping off point for me is based on something you said in the podcast last week, yeah. I believe, honey, or in many one of our many conversations where it seemed to me you, you were even a little disappointed with yourself that it took you, you said, a day and a half to recover from a major disappointment. You'd put a lot of work and heart and soul into what I think is a fantastic treatment for a horror movie that we were set to pitch at a major studio. Everyone loved it. You know, a director we know loved it, a showrunner we know loved it. And then our reps were like, mm, not so much. They were afraid of it for reasons I don't think we need to get into. but. You said it took you a day and a half to get over that disappointment. And the first thing I thought was, honey, do you understand that there are some people who never 
get over that disappointment. And it actually impedes them and inhibits them from pursuing either screenwriting or publishing with the open heart and enthusiasm you really need to succeed in the arts. Yeah, if you don't feel like your team gets you, understands what it is that you're doing, you can get into a situation where you are feeling unsupported or you're feeling like you can't trust your own taste, your own your own sensibilities, or you can feel like I'll just write this for the money, which uh, is a, no. a path to self-destruction. Yeah. So, I mean, I can say that, that I had that anger and sick feeling that but i was able to look at it and ask myself you know well what's going on here and if i'm angry anger is fear if i'm afraid what's the fear there it's a, it's my fear that my team isn't supporting me my fear that maybe my innate sense of taste about what stories are and what are good what i would like to watch is is not accurate enough that the culture has not changed enough for me to be able to tell the stories that I want to tell and, and have a chance of being rewarded. You know, those fears, if, if you look directly at the fears, then you can argue with them or see what you can do to sort them out. But I had to get out of the, the feeling of being sick or angry and, and ask myself, why? why? Why am I at this point? I was able to take the negative emotions and put get them into a little bit of I'll show them. Mm-hmm. You, you know, sure they did. Don't know who, they don't know who they're talking to. <laughs> you know, they actually wanted me to stop writing on the script I was working on, and I refused. I mean, However, that was the I weirdest think, part to me. Like, it's okay. You don't want us to pitch it at the studio, but they almost like wanted to make sure that we had kicked it to death and buried it. I mean, <laughs> I mean I what the that hell? What that is is from working with writers who can't divide their time. Ah, okay. you know that that they consider that to be a dead end. So my attitude was, I'll write it for love. I'll write it for practice. Yeah, you know, practice plotting. You know, working on this. You know, I'll write it to practice typing. I don't care. But you're not going to tell me that I'm not going to write this when the little kid inside me is having fun. Exactly, having fun working on this, and that little kid inside me is the creative spark. So you have to be careful as you move forward towards trying to build a, a financial success that you're not leaving your aesthetic behind. You're not Ooh. leaving, you know, the, why is it that you're writing in the first place? What are the stories that you want to see and you're creating those? So it's, it was just, it took me about a day and a half to work my way through things so that I could then begin looking at creating another couple of ideas. Now, I had two weeks to do that, and in two weeks, I did create two ideas. I think great ideas. You know, Tanana Reef thinks they're strong, and the executive at the at the film company thought they were strong. Will anything come out of it? God, I don't know. Probably not. You know, you, most things don't come to any you know in, in, any fruition. However, movies get made. So and the, relationships get made and, and forged. relationships get made. That's right. So, so what are my reasons for doing it? How would you? What would you say were your reasons? For taking that meeting to looking for another opportunity. You know, I, I yeah. love horror movies. I want to write a horror movie. And if yeah. I can find like we were sent a list of prospective titles to try to update. So if I can find something that I can see my way into that the kid in me would have loved watching when I was younger, 
then especially if it's a film, because that's the one threshold, you know, I'm very confident, very confident that we're going to get a TV series started sooner or later. And even if we don't, and I don't believe that, but even if we didn't, I've, I've done TV now, I have a couple of TV credits, so I'm not satisfied with those. I want more, but the film is harder. It's harder to get a movie made than it is to write for a TV show. Statistically, there are way more television writers working at in, or yeah, in I mean, think, active think work was, th- than film writers. When I was a kid, during primetime, there were three networks that had four hours of programming seven nights a week. That's, you know, three times four times seven. So there were, what? I mean, something along the lines of three times four is 12 times seven. You know, what? I mean, a hundred something hours. Yeah, David Gerald in a recent. Every every week. In a recent podcast, David Gerald was talking about that. He had like counted the number of actual writing slots there were. Yeah. You know, and and if back during that same period of time, maybe five movies would open up a week which was a total of 10 hours. So there's about, you know, 10 times more television than movies at that time. And right now there are so many channels for television that they can't even be counted, but some but television and movies have become, have crossed over with each other. You know, that, that there are television shows that could easily be broadcast as films and are shot in those ratios and have that kind of budget and, and, and depth of characterization and so forth. And there are movies that you know, shouldn't have made it off television. That's yeah, and you know it is so painful every time I see one of those B- bad movies. Th- that's like, oh, God, really? This got made. <laughs> this this got made, and not anything. Well, you know, but anybody anyway is you know that's that combination of skill and connections. How did they get into the position to sell a movie to somebody? Somebody came up with you know where they. A prospective writer and some producer said, you know, give me a movie about flying sharks, you know, and so the guy goes away and does this, even though, you know, it it violates his, you know, his aesthetic, he's able to do a good job and you get Sharknado, maybe. (laughs) Well, that's not even the kind of movie, I'm glad Sharknado exists. That is far from the kind of movie I'm talking about. There are way worse movies than Sharknado. But, you know, you said something interesting earlier and so important for anyone who's an aspiring artist, whether it's a screenwriter, writer, any kind of artist is this basic pretender voice, fear of rejection, fear that your own story sensibility isn't enough. And frankly, even figuring out what your story sensibility is. I mean, I've been saying in a lot of interviews lately, not so much here, that as a developing writer, as a little girl, I was writing little black girls. But by the time I finished graduate school, I was writing white men. (laughs) And this had everything to do with the canon. Everything to do with what passed as literature, even by supportive instructors, and I have many supportive instructors, but canon is what canon is. And think, my, you know, my idea... It's more insidious than that even, but mm, go ahead. No, I was just going to say my idea of what a short story was, was a white man having an emotional epiphany. Right. So I had not just erased the blackness and womanness from my story. I had erased genre. Well, I think that the more insidious thing mm. is that this isn't about writing stories. It's about what some part of you accepted as being the natural order of the universe. Yeah, right. And I was a young woman and I grew up in a in a civil rights household. So listen, I'm just saying that this is an example. If you're uncertain 
of where you fit in literature and film, just know that a Black woman who was raised by civil rights activists practically homeschooled in Black literature, exposed to Black literature and comics as a young age, I still came out the other side completely confused. And it took me some time to find my way back. And this notion, you know, of who you are as a writer, what you should be writing about, is this a story? When you add all of these other societal elements, which is the part of you that also wants to make sure it will sell. So at what point are you consciously silencing your inner voice to try to reach for something more generic than any other writer could write? When the actual key is that the thing that pops is the thing that only you can write. And figuring that out is tough. And there's a lot of rejection along the way while people don't know that yet about what you're writing. You know, so it's like you have to have your craft down and that's a whole process. But once the craft piece is down and you're a professional level writer, matching your sensibilities to the marketplace is another part of the journey. And there will be a lot of disappointment along the way. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So the question then is dealing with rejection. Yes. And dealing with disappointment. Yes. And developing those mental and emotional muscles is critical, once again, in all three aspects of life. Because if you're going to try to, let's say, lose weight, get more fit, you're going to have problems. You're going to run into walls. You're going to injure yourself. You're going to do things that don't work. You're going to have setbacks. How do you deal with that? How about relationships? You know, that in, in relationships, you're going to get turned down. You're going to have bad dates. People are going to say bad things. You're going to be betrayed, lied to, this, that, and the other. What are you going to do? How are you, are you setting yourself up for that? In your career, if, if the, the core life writing principle is to write at least a hundred stories and have them all submitted for publication before you create any judgment about whether or not you can or cannot publish. That's a lot of rejection. And that's easier said than done. That is absolutely easier said than done. And and what you might need, I hope I'm not interrupting. No, go I, for I, it. I, tell tell me exactly how you, you're, you're seeing it. It's easier said than done. I'm so lucky that I had a reframe. 
of that idea of rejection when I was in high school. Thank you, Mrs. Estever. What did Mrs. To, Estever do? She was my 11th grade English teacher. And I heard she was a writer or used to be a writer or, you know, something through the grapevine. So I mentioned to her that I wanted to be a writer. And she gave me a piece of advice that rings in my head to this day. She said, in order to be a writer, you have to wallpaper your wall with rejection slips. And I love that advice for so many reasons. A, it's absolutely practical advice. Just you're going to get a lot of rejection. Okay. But it paints a picture. It paints a literal picture. So when I was in my beginning phases, not quite there yet with craft, right? But trying to find my way, submitting to markets that were way beyond my skill level, like Playboy back in the day was a high paying fiction market. And maybe it still is. I have no idea. Um, It exists anymore. Oh, does it not? (laughs) I don't know. It shows you how old I am. But in any case, like way out of my league, right? And, And these rejection slips would come in. And instead of feeling crushed, Instead of feeling like, oh, my gosh, maybe I don't have what it takes to be a writer. I just started putting them on the back of my door. And I started to feel a sense of pride as the number of them grew. Because listening to Mrs. Estever's advice in my head, wallpaper my wall, I had just gotten started. But I had gotten started. And that was the key for me. I'm looking up something right now while you're talking because I want to. Stats. There we go. All right. Stats. He's looking up stats for you, people. Yes. I'm looking up stats. So basically, Babe Ruth, who had the world's highest, you know, the, the world's highest batting average, the I think his the overview of his stats was something along the lines of 300. I forget exactly what it I was. I don't know what that means. <laughs> that, that means that he, that three out of 10 times that he went to bat, he got a hit. Oh, thank you. Okay. I've, I've learned something like about sports ball today. World. Great. That, that what I've, you know, and, and those who know the statistics, if I'm getting this wrong, please forgive me. I, I understand that. Lean, look it up yourself. And of course, um, I know what baseball stats are. I, I, I that what that I means have. is that seven out of 10 times he struck out. That the best in the world at something like professional, you know, at the professional level is has to be able to deal with striking out in front of tens of thousands of fans every time they get up to bat. So every time you put a rejection slip on your door, what you were saying was, I have the courage to get up to bat. Yes. I have the courage to take a swing. And if if you don't do that, then when if you, you know, wanted to get a black belt and you're going to you're going to a tournament and you get your butt kicked. You know, it's like you can quit or you can say, you know, this is just another step. I'll get better. You know, in terms of of, of relationships, you know, you go out, you ask somebody for a date, you know, and they say no. You know, do you take it personally and feel devastated or do you just say uh, this is just a numbers game to to be able to understand that some aspects of life are not under your control? What you can control is whether or not you get up and swing again. That is it. Write another story. Whether or not you ask somebody else for a date or go out on another date, do you know, can you staunch your bleeding emotionally and get out there and do what has to be done? That is it. It's the pure grit. And I often think about actors and how horrifying it would be if that face was literally more personal, like it's you, your body, <laughs> your face that's being reject- rejected at an audition as opposed to something you wrote, you know. Right. It in, might in, be the worst for comedians. Yeah, they boo you right off the stage. Feedback, you know, every minute comedians get feedback on how they're doing. Yeah, more frequently than that. But it's rare for a comedian not to not to expect a laugh per minute. You know, a an actor can get no reaction from the audience until the end of the act, 
or the end of the play. You know, but when you get that feedback, the, the important thing is it can be brutal. Yeah, but it's it, also the fastest way to learn. It is the fastest way to learn. And I, I wish I could remember the comic's name, but I heard a woman on one of my favorite radio shows talking about how weird it is as a comic, because what they do is they write, write, write. Some of them literally pen to paper, some not. And then they have to go test their material at, at small clubs and, and work it out until it's finally funny. You know, they don't come out the box with the Netflix special. They build that over about a year of touring usually. Yeah. So one comedian was talking about how weird it is when you've reached a certain level where you just get on the stage and the crowd goes wild, no matter what you say is hysterical. Okay. Which is its own kind of weird barometer. It's not quite right, but then you're testing new material at the small club <laughs> And the jokes are not landing and it's just, it's just crickets, right? So, so you get both. And when you're a more established comic, oh, there's the crickets. Yeah. When you're a more, when you're a more established comic, you don't take that seriously because you know, you're getting the love out on the road from your fans and you've built a base. The rejection is just literally a business step on your journey. (laughs) So that you get your material tight and you're ready for your special. And I, I, so much of many of us, when we're starting out, we don't have that confidence to know that this is the part where you build up your act. This is the part where you hone the jokes and, and don't take it too seriously. You know, if you follow the hero's journey and you look at yourself, you, you look at what that journey is in all three of those major arenas, then the idea of, you know, no one thing, no 10,000 things or master anything, you know how to master anything else really comes in because you, anything that you've mastered in your life, you failed at many, many, many times. So if you can look at how did you deal with those failures? How did you deal with the disappointment? How did you do it? Whatever process you went through to protect your emotions and get back up when you got knocked down in any of those three arenas can be used again in the other two. So it's you, you, you search for the core of it. It's that question, who am I and what is true? You know, in terms of sending in stories, when the, when the rejection slip comes, what do you do? How do you breathe? What do you think? How, what's your reaction? What, what behaviors did you go through? Find ways to apply that same notion with the other arenas of your life so that ultimately, Everything that you're doing in life is another version of the same thing. You know, you're just being yourself. Now you're being yourself writing. Now you're being yourself putting your stuff in the mail. Now you're being stuff looking at rejection slips. Now you're being stuff cashing a check. You're being the same person, okay? And the same thing is true in relationships because what you don't want is to have everything that you do in your life turn you into somebody different. You have responsibility to be who you are, not just what life turns you into. Absolutely. And you have to learn and relearn the lesson. So I had the 11th grade version of that lesson that carried me through my young adulthood. Have you ever reached out to that teacher? I believe she must have passed away by now. She was quite elderly then. But I I will try to find out if she has family because I've told this story before. And then that wore off. And when I wrote my first novel, the between that got rejected by like a couple places, like literally one agent and one publisher or contest. It wasn't even a publisher. And I stuck it in a drawer for a year. So I had forgotten my lesson of the joy of putting the rejections on the wall by then. I was starting to feel those punches a little bit more. And it it really did. I was thinking to myself, well, okay, I know how to write a short story, but maybe I don't yet know how to write a novel. <laughs> and I started my soul to keep my second novel. I think I was midway through my soul to keep. 
before I felt like I was having panic attacks. This was my 20s. So, you know, you know how that is. I don't have to remind you about the 20s and how emotionally volatile they are. And I was feeling like I was having panic attacks. And I finally realized, oh, I'm not following my own rules. I'm not submitting a book. I'm, I'm writing every day, but I'm lying to myself about trying to get published because I have a whole damn novel in my drawer that I haven't tried to send out in a year. A year. And literally, oh. I sold it within two weeks. I, I got representation within two weeks of, of seeking representation. And she sold it. That was Janelle Waldenajah, my, my first novel, The Between. She sold it within two weeks of sending. I mean, immediately it was ready to sell. And I didn't know because I had looked at the marketplace's reaction as my whole barometer for how good a writer I am. And you can't do that. You have to have, whether it's through your writer's group, your spouse, whoever it is in your life that is your beta reader, that trusted beta reader, or if you're lucky, more than one, that's how you know who you are as a writer. And everything else is, can you find the right market, the right editor, the right day, the right mood, the right time? You know, and we're always committed to telling you what the world that we have experienced and in some cases have helped to create. But what's critical for you to do is to listen to other writers as well. You know, articles on your favorite writers, you know, interviews, biographies. Try to extract from these the core lessons and, and see whether or not the things that we're saying resonate with what they're saying. Because eventually, you know, you can extend yourself on trust to us, and we appreciate that. But what I want you to do is to have conviction. I want you to have faith that the things you are doing are going to take you in the direction you want to go. Yeah, you'll have to ride out that faith for, for some time. You know, some people get right, lucky right out the gate. Yep. I had a, a ping from the universe in my early 20s, right out of grad school. I almost sold a short I sold a short story, but the magazine went out of business. So that was a disappointment too. Uh, although it wasn't one that I blamed myself and my craft for, but it hurt. But it let me know that I was on the right path. It kept me going for a few more years. Screenwriting, woo, listen, that is a whole different level of rejection. And for those of you who are screenwriters or prose writers, listen, I advise every prose writer out there, if you have the slightest interest in seeing your work adapted for the screen, learn how to be a screenwriter because you will help that process along. You may not always be able to get hired to write that script, but knowing how to think about script and adaptation is going to make you a valuable person at the table. And there's just more money when you're a screenwriter and a producer as in, in, in addition to just being the author of the source material. And I'll really quickly tell you, like in our Ascension, we were so lucky and gratified to have a Twilight Zone episode with Jordan Peele back in 2019. Peak, peak, peak. I'm still riding high from that. Right out of that, we'd written an independent spec script called The Keeper. And The Keeper is, is basically about a little girl whose grandmother dies while she's taking care of her and her grandmother has conjured a creature to take care of her. That's, that's the quickest way I can describe it. And I, I just, it felt different. I'd written a few scripts by then, but it definitely to me felt like the best scripts I had ever conceived. And I took lead on that one, but Steve also had a, had a big role in helping to figure out the biology and history of the creature. I really felt that along with his script, Mississippi Shuffle, it really represented the best of who we are as screenwriters in that moment. 
and my favorite, absolute freaking favorite horror director and his company said they loved it. They said they loved it. They wanted to option it. Their deal was just about to come through with their parent company. So they presented it as a slate for the next five films they were going to do. And the parent company said, no. So I want you to imagine hearing your favorite director say, we love The Keeper. Like in your your earshot, you literally heard him say those words. You're convinced that this is about to happen. It's just a matter of time. And then you're at Best Buy with your husband and you get the phone call from your manager with the bad news that the studio passed and it's all over. It's just that the whole dream of it, everything was over. And, you know, I haven't felt a kick in the stomach like that in a very long time. It was. How did you deal with it? Well, just plotting forward, honey. I always have a million things on my plate. My way of dealing with anxiety is action, (laughs) you know, taking action. So my impulse was not to say, oh, well, okay, I'm just going to find somewhere else to sell this because I was, I really needed to just walk away from that particular script for a time. But I had a novel I was working on. I had short stories. I had other pitches that we were working on. I kept myself busy and distracted. And I told myself what I tell myself every time we plan a meet and greet, every time we're like, why are we doing the Zoom again with, you know, that might not probably won't result in anything because it's an education. Everything we go through is teaching me. I didn't go to film school. I never took a screenwriting class. Everything I know about the industry, I'm learning by doing. So even like that bitter pill of the keeper, I was like, okay, it's a learning experience. And then our reps started using it as a writing sample. And we literally just gave it to an executive in that same studio that turned it down <laughs> as a writing sample for the project that Steve talked about earlier that he came up with now, the pitches with so I quickly for. I to make a prediction here. Yeah. We were not able to get it sold as a movie. We were able to get it sold as a graphic novel. True. And, and it Abrams comes out is, in. is publishing it, The Keeper. You know, John Jennings. It's the um, editor. Marco Finnegan is the illustrator. And it comes out in and September. And, and we'll be talking about it. And we should have copies of it at Worldcon. Yes. But what I'm saying is I predict that it will be sold as a movie within a year of it coming out as a graphic novel. Because I, the graphic novel shows the potential. And that graphic novel is going to be all over the place with a cover blur by a certain really famous horror director, writer, director. <laughs> Producer, as, as well as a bunch of other people. Rodney Barnes gave us a blurb. You heard him on our podcast. I mean, we've just, I wish I had the list of blurbs in front of me. And one well, day we're I really, we're really blessed in terms of that. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of goes into the question of, you know, how do you recover from disappointment? So if you, if you have something that you believe in, you put your whole heart into it and now it goes out and you're getting some positive feedback from it, it's only natural for your heart to leap and for you to, you know, feel, hey, hallelujah, finally, I'm, 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 this is happening. Then when you get kicked in the gut or it gets turned down, it can be painful. So the process of reintegration, so you get back up, so you can get to the to the plate again and take another swing, you have to deal with all of that emotional stuff. So, yes. you know, we talk about, we talk about that. And, you know, one of the resources, you know, is just, you know, get into the next project. And I don't even mention that. Another one is that we hugged each other. You know, it's like, you know, the, the primary relationships in your life, family, friends, 
to a certain degree, you know, agents and managers and so forth should be people who you can commiserate with, you know, because this is this is the tribe that's moving you towards your destiny. Yes. Yes. And, you know, Steve and I have a milestone coming up, audience, on August 1st. We will have been married for 24 years. That's right. Give it up. Give it up. That's a lot of years. There have been ups and downs, and some of the things that we've tried have not worked, and other things that we've tried have been, you know, wonderfully successful. But I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that your choice of partners in life can be can either destroy you or uplift you. Even you know, we have this blessing of being of both being writers, so it, we can bump heads on things. But it's also it, it's wonderful to collaborate with somebody with whom you share a love and a friendship. Yes. Uh, but even if we did not collaborate, you know, I would have wanted someone who could read my stuff and give me feedback on it, would have some idea what I was trying to accomplish in my work and who I could trust to tell me the truth. And if we're sharing a life together, then they have every reason in the world to want me to be the best I can possibly be. So if you choose that person properly, you have just gotten a cheerleader and a coach, you know, and a nurse, you know, and a dramaturge, you know, yes. and any number of different things. That that thing, that partnership is critical. So I, it, it, if you are going to try to take that step into you know, writing television or books, it is perfectly reasonable to ask you, what is your support group? Who's around you? You know, who is whispering in your ear? And are they positive or are they negative? You know, that will make a difference. Yes, it will make a difference. And believe in, in love is what, what comes to mind for me. I saw a beautiful tweet this morning from a woman in a swimming pool who's Man is just staring at her like she is the sun rising and setting. And her tweet was, if my man looking at me like this, I-D-G-A-F, you know what that means. I don't give a <clears throat> what anybody got to say. Just celebrating her love. And so I retweeted it. And what was interesting was that I got a response back. Because sometimes when you tweet about love, there are people who see those tweets and feel like it's an attack of some kind. Yeah. You know? And so the response was something like, "How? why do people always have to feel that they need to get something outside of themselves, et cetera? And it's not about that. It's not like if I say that I'm celebrating my 24 years of marriage with, with Steve, that is not to say that your life without a partner doesn't matter or even that everybody wants to have a partner. In Although, fact, the first step. Although I do assume that 99.9% .9 of people want partners, it is not necessary to have a partner to be happy. In fact, the first step of the soulmate process is to be happy with your life, with who you are, to love who you are, and to love the life that you have. That's The, the first step is being healthy where you are, happy where you are. It's from that position that you can then find another healthy, balanced human being. I mean, if a health, if you are, if you're healthy, and balanced and happy, you want to be in a relationship with somebody who's depressive and broken? I mean, maybe you do, but in all likelihood, you want somebody who's as healthy as you are because you're going to have problems and you want them to be strong when you have problems. And then when they have problems, you can be strong. You know, it's the process of life. If the, if the meaning of life is to be happy, and I, I like that from the Dalai Lama, and to be happy and be of service, 
the first thing you can do is to seek that joy in your own life. But the next thing you can literally do is find somebody who's just as healthy and giving as you are and seek to be of service to them. But you have to choose carefully because you need to choose somebody who is going to be of service to you, who takes pleasure in giving. You take pleasure in giving to them. They take pleasure in giving to you. You're both healthy as individuals. Now that can turn into a really healthy relationship. There is a type of relationship where the two of you, you know, you've got a right leg, they've got a left leg, you wrap your arms around each other's waist and you hop towards the horizon. That works too. Yes. I, I think that that if if you if you look at the process of love as externalizing the love you have for yourself. And that same love, isn't that going to push you to send out your stories, to finish your stories, to push your career, to maintain the disciplines that help you physically? In other words, can you see how each of these arenas connects to the other two and supports them? Right. You don't have to separate your life between. Well, that's the whole point of life writing, actually, is that the life writing podcast is about that synergy between the artist's life and the artist's art. Right. So. Finding a partner, Steve just talked about the soulmate process, and that's the name of our upcoming virtual course that we'll be launching on July 30th, the day before our 24th anniversary. That's right. And it is- Celebrate with us. Celebrate with us. And just to clarify, we are not Tinder, okay? We're not promising you a hookup. We're not (laughs) going to give you all the best dating sites. We are all about, to us, what's real. What's real is Steve and I both went through very similar and replicable processes before we ever met each other. And when we told the stories to each other later, we're like, oh my gosh, you did that. I did this. And there was enough similarity in what we did to prepare to meet each other. And our marriage has lasted so long that we now feel confident that we can pass on lessons to students that will help them fall in love with themselves, the person in the mirror and with a partner. And it's also been tested. You know, I, one of my other hats, I don't like to do life coaching anymore because I have to charge people too much money just to be, just to be honest, but I do a small amount of it and I get four figures for, you know, an hour, you know, for, for coaching people. And some of that coaching has been in the arena of finding relationships and finding love. And what we wanted to do was to create, was to take something that would have cost thousands of dollars of coaching if I'd been doing it one-on-one, let alone if somebody had been able to get me and Tananarif talking to them. Nobody's ever been able to manage that, but we're going to do this this time and we're going to be doing it live. And then other people afterwards will get the 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 pre-recorded versions but you're going to be able to have the opportunity to be there with us live starting on july the 30th going for five weeks there's a social media group there are tons of resources it's going to be fun if you will go to soulmateprocess.com you'll see the site that we are building it's you know most of the information is there you'll be able to see exactly what we're doing you'll even be able to see that there is a hundred dollar discount off that price but you know, let's call this a wedding present to you, you know, because we're starting this the day before our 24th anniversary. There is a special site you can go to to get it for even more off. And that's at Soulmate Deal. 
Com. You go there and you can get the whole thing for only $97 as opposed yes. to the $297 it's going to cost when we put the whole thing together. SoulmateDeal.com, SoulmateProcess.com to find out what it is, but don't use the link on that page. For people watching this, listening to this, we consider you to be our tribe and we'd love to have you there, You know, to have a, a really good group of people who are engaged and really want to heal themselves, to be happy, and then once they are healed and happy, to look around and find somebody to share the journey with. So get that secret price at www.soulmatedeal.com. That's great. So yes. anything else we need to talk about today, sweetheart? I don't think so. I think this has been a terrific podcast. Maybe by next week, we'll be ready to announce where our new platform will be that will expand our listenership. And frankly, I think it's going to be an exciting new era for the Life Writing Podcast. Of course, you should check out our Life Writing Premium course. You'll hear that URL at the end of the broadcast. And keep on writing, you know, keep on writing. Don't let don't let those disappointments even slow you down, much less stop you. It's easier said than done, but you can do it. The trick is to know before you send it out, before you begin the process of, of walking this path, that you're going to have to deal with a tremendous amount of rejection. Get the resources first. Get the people around you. Understand exactly how you're going to deal with it by moving your body or focusing your, your attention or using the language that you use. If you will get those resources before you go, it's like knowing where you're going to stop to eat when you're driving you know, across the Mojave Desert. Where are you going to get gas? Where are you going to get water? Where am I going to stop and get food? You look at the map. The map of life writing will tell you in order to get to what you want, you're going to have to be strong and resilient. And one of the best things you can do about that is loving yourself, loving that little person inside you, and loving someone who believes in you. So we're all- beautiful. Beautiful. Go on out, everyone. Right. Make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. Okay. Take care. And we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.